philosophers. Philosophers. I was really quiet. I was yes. not facing the mic, but that's okay. We're not doing it again. You're fired. <clears throat> That'll be it for this week. <laughs> We're doing it live. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, what melancholy topic do you have for us this week? Let's talk about... Death. Death. I was trying to come up with a uh, pun. Well, not a pun, but a uh, more grandiose way of putting it. Oh, uh, apotheosis? No, I'm just <laughs> sure. Is that what it... That has something to do with death. Isn't that a poem? Probably. There's a, I, for, I guarantee you for every single word in the English language, someone has written a poem with the title of that word. Yeah, apotheosis, the highest point in development of something, culmination or climate. Oh, well, I guess that's not at all what that means. It's uh, completely the opposite of that exact, uh, in fact. Yeah, what, what word was I thinking of? Oh, doesn't matter. So we're talking about death today. Um, what about death do you want to talk about? Um, it sucks. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, I think that's why almost every living thing avoids it more than almost anything else. Almost. Almost. So the thing, the thing that got me thinking about this. So some, I was talking to somebody yesterday who was, uh, who was kind of down about it, and uh, so then me, uh, a friend and I, uh, were trying to convince him that it really wasn't so bad. So you were consoling a mortal coil. <laughs> yes. Um, <clears throat> so ba- basically, the, the conversation opens up with, "I wish I were just a little bit less smart." <clears throat> Don't you? Okay, <laughs> I have mixed feelings about that phrase. Yes. That phrase is only used by two kinds of people, in my opinion. The people that are not that smart, but love to think they are. Not castigating your friend as this person. But I then didn't the, say he was my friend, but anyway. Uh, the, individu- your, the individual to which you were speaking. Yes. Um, and the other kind of person is a person that actually is that smart, and I can relate. So, go on. <laughs> Just kidding. Kind of. Okay, Apotheon. Um, speaking of apotheosis. Um, <clears throat> um, Apotheonness. No. Okay. Uh, anyway, and so we're like, okay, what the heck does that mean? And he's like, well, I'm upset because I'm smart enough to comprehend the heat death of the universe. Okay. Which means that there is no avoiding death if it's true. I mean, okay. That's yeah. a bit extreme. <laughs> I think you have a lot bigger things to worry about than the well, heat death that's of the pretty, universe. That's pretty much where the where the conversation went next. It's like, okay, even if it were discovered that the universe were not going to end in a heat death and it would continue indefinitely as it is currently, which is probably not the case, but even if it were, there are so many other things in the universe trying to kill you. Right. <laughs> and... And I, I don't think I ever said this directly, but one of the one of the fun so th- this treads very closely upon the gambler's fallacy, but it's actually true that given if you take anything that has a uh, finite but non-zero chance of occurring uh, probability rather, if you give it infinite time, it will happen. True, with infinite time. Right. Otherwise, it does have zero probability. So, then we take things like, what is the probability of a gamma ray burst hitting you specifically? Uh, possible. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's not zero. So, if you figure out how to live forever functionally, right? eventually you will be hit by a gamma ray burst and killed. Yes. 
Um, well, that also goes that that also kind of speaks to something worse than uh, things trying to kill you, and that is things that don't care whether you exist or not. And that's kind of the whole root of existential horror. You know, most Ridley Scott movies are about things like this that they're not trying to kill you because of who you are or because they like killing right. things. They just happen and they will kill you if they happen and you will die. And that's just how it is. Like it, there are factors outside of your control that will result in your death and not even feel about it because they don't have feelings, you know? Right. Like a, all of a, the an asteroid colliding with the, the earth. Right. Well, and, and like most Lovecraftian horror, which I tend to be very partial to, I have his anthology. It's very, very good. Um, and it, 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 it suits my more macabre tastes uh, and, and is very specific in a very unique way. And I enjoy it, but that's what it's all about is that meteor doesn't have feelings. It doesn't care. No, no one and no sentient thing probably sent it on its course this way. It just happened and you just died. And that's just it. You know what I mean? And that to human beings is just right, insulting. The- for some reason right right we really hate the realization well i think that's what this guy was was lamenting even though even though he didn't have his priorities straight the the real thing that was getting under this guy's skin is that you don't matter because well i guess i guess that that you don't matter but also that the universe in which we exist is in such a way that like that this is how it is it will kill you because there are just things all over it that are not good for you. Right. Well, I mean, we evolved to exist within a certain very niche ecosystem. Right. Which is, yeah, it, not only not everywhere, but not even a significant portion at all of anywhere. And ironically, it's thought that that's the only way that life as we know it could even exist. So we can only exist within the fringes and... It's kind of a catch twenty two. It's like, well, why couldn't right? We... You can't even like, you can't even barely leave our ecosystem for very long without being destroyed by things in space. Exactly. Like, even in orbit around the planet, if you stay up there for too long, solar radiation will kill you. Yeah, even with all of the basic necessities met, like oxygen, water, and food, right? You still die because of cancer, yep. essentially. Right. Faster cancer. than people who stayed on Earth. Exactly. You know, and not only that, but even within the small ecosystem in which we exist we still die you know this, this is true too we're still fine yeah, we're still not perfectly tuned for it we're, we're, well th- that's the thing is we're not we're not perfectly tuned to our environment we're perfectly tuned to make it in our environment for a sufficient amount of time to make another human to last just as long right but in their time make more humans to last just as long right yeah if and i don't typically appreciate people looking at humans on the species level i do think it's it's a bit, uh, I don't know. I feel like there's a certain kind of hubris that goes along with trying to command and speak about the human race as, as a species in the way that most people typically do when they get on that level. Um, because we don't exist as a monolith and we don't behave as a monolith. There are characteristics that apply to all living beings that apply to us because we fall into that category. But even if you were to have all of humanity on the same page it doesn't matter we as a species are competing with every other living thing for the same resources you know and and 
it all the way down at any at every level there's a innate competition going on and in, in a lot of those levels it's not even a consensual competition it's not two people saying we are going to agree to that it, it's it just occurs it is the na- it, that it is nature at that point and while i also think it's somewhat fallacious sometimes to say well this is how it is in nature so that's how we should be um actually it's interesting that we bring that up because my wife and i were talking about this last night okay about why it is that we do certain things that we do and i brought up the analogies that people typically use the lizard brain the monkey brain and then the often not mentioned but referred to even in ignorance the human brain you know the sapien brain you know there are parts of us that we have not evolved out of that cause us to do really ridiculous things like i just want to mate right now or i just want i am i feel angry you know i are right even if there is like no like cognitive reason to feel angry like no re- reason to feel angry it's like but you do <laughs> right and so that's going to alter your behavior anyway right well and then it's well even more basic than that it's i am hungry yep even though i don't need to eat right now I could wait, but I'm hungry. I want to mate. I want to have. Like, these are lizard so one, brain one properties. Of the things, so we actually talked about this yesterday, too, and that it, as part of that same conversation. Uh, we could, so one person suggested that, that one of the reasons that we fear death and don't and have a hard time coming to grips with what death probably really is is that our brains have a hard time getting a grasp on the concept of a universe that doesn't include us in it. Well, yeah, because that's the one thing that we've always had. Right. Is ourselves. And so somebody else was like, well, I can imagine it. And it's like, okay, well, yes, I can imagine a theoretical universe that doesn't have me in it, but lizard brain cannot. No, it cannot. Because everything begins with the self. Right. Everything is from your perspective. And the universe exists the way it does based on your perception, period. There is no such thing. There's not even object permanence. If you don't see it, it doesn't exist in lizard brain. Right. Um, you don't know why to get food. You go over here. You just do it. You know. It, yep. It, it's not like there's a map prepared. It's that, you know, it's stored differently. And then you get to monkey brain, which is a little more advanced. It can comprehend a little more. I would say this is when you start feeling the high, mid and higher tier emotions like jealousy and anger. You know, lizards don't get angry necessarily, I wouldn't think. Like, it's not the same. They don't get angry. They can get get aggressive. Aggressive. That's it. Yeah. The more primitive emotions, you know, aggression, flight, like these kinds of emotions that are only have to do with survival. And then monkey brain is, well, I kind of want to enjoy it a little bit. Or there's a social context that I need to be able to. I can't just always be aggressive when I'm in a negative state towards people. I need to have a division of this in order to communicate. So now I have anger, jealousy, greed, all these other things that are negative. And then I also on the positive end have joy, elation, happiness, contentedness. Yes. And then human brain takes those and has to divide them even further. And, but when you look at the point of every, like the, the, the goal of each level, you know, lizard brain is I got to survive and mate. (laughs) That is it. Monkey brain is I got to survive and mate because they still have lizard brain, but they also want things to be easy. You know, we want to be lazy. We want to use tools because that I can do those things and also not have to work as hard, you know, 
and they like that. They also are curious, like curiosity starts to come in in mammalian brains that yes. does not exist in reptile brains. You know, they are more aware of their surroundings and how they can manipulate them as a part of just being subject to their environment. And then human brain tries to put meaning on all of these things. And so when you, like the, the question we were originally talking about is, well, how do you, what is happiness? What is it to be fulfilled and content? Because those are more primitive. And then how do you reconcile all of these goals? You know, and, and and how do you reconcile the goal of satisfying lizard brain, satisfying monkey brain, and satisfying human brain? Like, how do you do that? Because that's what it takes to, I think, to be actually fulfilled or to be truly happy is sure. to reconcile those things together. And the it's problem... Difficult. It's very difficult because we don't even understand it. Well, and and sometimes they want contradictory things. So this came up in yesterday's conversation as well. Um, so an example of, you know, how, how lizard brain can be at, at odds with monkey brain or, or cognitive human brain, um, is so, so Joe, if you, if you were to, uh, to suffer an injury, which rendered you, I don't know, paralyzed or something like that, um, in a, or you ended up with something like, like locked in syndrome or something like that. And, and you were, you were being kept alive only by life support. Would you want to continue that existence? No, no. Most people say no. That's miserable, and uh, this is especially the case of um, a, a story, a particular story that I heard of a. I think she was a nurse, who you know was constantly dealing with people who were on life support and just had miserable existences. And she's you know she constantly would tell her husband, you know, if I'm ever like that, just just pull the plug. I can't I can't take it. I don't want to be like that. Well, she developed ALS, which is very rare in females, but she got it, um, and was put into that situation. But she was conscious at the time that the nurse that was helping her came and said, hey, we're going to have to put you on this support system. And so her her husband, who was telling the story, is sitting there like, okay, she's going to say no and this is going to be it. And she said, yes, put me on the thing. Lizard brain doesn't want to die. Nope. And what's even crazier is how much control each of these brains have over what you do. And... I think it's comparable to, I think it's interesting because it's almost comparable to some command structures, both in, in any kind of organization. Lizard brain is the CEO. Lizard brain doesn't care how. Lizard brain doesn't care what it costs necessarily, as long as it doesn't cost the ultimate cost. Just do it. I don't care how. Fight or flight. You know, that level of monkey brain tries to get away with things. It's trying to do it somewhat efficiently but also just get the job done human brain has to have meaning <laughs> in what it's doing it has to ascribe something to it to give it significance because they care we care about that you know and in that moment the ceo said i don't care about your quality of life it's life that's all it's black and white it doesn't care and the ceo can fire anybody below it and override it but that's kind of also part of the human condition. You know, we are constantly at odds with those parts of our being. I say constantly. We're constantly at odds with them, and we're also constantly dealing with them. You know, like, I'd, I'm going to be hungry here in about an hour or so. And lizard brain doesn't care how I get the food or what it is. It just says, get the food, eat, you know. It's very simple. 
and even me saying get the food eat it can't even put it in those terms it doesn't say anything i don't hear a voice in my said good food you know it right you you feel a feeling yeah, it, and there is a certain type of urgency about it mm-hmm. where you stop being able to think other thoughts because man i'm hungry mm-hmm. i can, gotta get something to eat it just controls it boxes in how you think it doesn't stop you from thinking but it can right. really yeah, narrow I can do the... I can do calculus while hungry, but it's really hard. It's harder, <laughs> yes. Um, it's like trying to do anything when you're sleepy, you know? Like it, right. You... Man, I got to go to sleep, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when it comes to a complex subject like death, which death isn't all that complicated, let's no. be honest. It's not. But philosophically it is. Philosophically, yes, it is. But, but on a technical level... Yeah, it's you can you can definitely put some limits on it and figure out what it is. Yep. Um, but I guess that gets us to a a place where you you also kind of have to talk about, you know, what about this struggle? You know, like I think most people would agree that while we 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 need to fight against what lizard lizard brain wants sometimes or be more be smarter about our implementations about what lizard and monkey brain want you know obviously th- this is where morality starts come becoming a thing just because you're hungry doesn't mean you should steal the food but right right you know you know higher higher order brain begins to constrain lizard brain and say okay yes we're going to get food but not this way but all of that's on a timer yes that's the other thing is you can try to constrain lizard brain, but right. lizard brain lizard brain always... has a certain degree of patience. It, it does, but there's also, I mean, uh, let's let's take a good example. Let's look. I, I think religions do this a lot, and we talk about religions a lot. But religions are very prominent in humans, so you know, fair game. Most religions talk about transcendence. You know, yes, we need to move beyond ourselves, right? right? And they cut it up in different ways but they all kind of are saying the same thing we need to stop being lizards yes you know we need to be better than lizards and there's a very humanist element to all of them even if they acknowledge like i'm most familiar with christianity christianity i feel like acknowledges lizard brain like it looks at it and says yeah it exists we don't call it that they call it the original sin or the flesh or the flesh yeah they call it yeah it's 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 we're all tainted with it and the whole goal of that religion is to transcend to a state where you are free of it and you can live the good life which is purely human brain and not even human brain but like the god brain you know if they don't call it that but god is essentially just a brain that doesn't have the lizard component it can do whatever it wants and it's free of all this and there's like this mystical quality to it and that's what everyone's trying to get to being a christian being christ-like is wanting to get away from that you know and i'm sure there's you look at like more eastern religions it's all about they, they're approaching a similar problem through discipline you know, especially right. the confucian you know confucianism and all of its and buddhism uh, buddhism all of their offsprings it's all about discipline which is not a lizard brain quality right and it's really not even a monkey brain quality either it's overcoming those things just through trying to achieve a mental state to come up to, to override it. Um, and of course, you know, the, the exact opposite exists as well. You know, there are the counterparts to all of those things where 
there are groups of people that think you should embrace your they call them human qualities but that's again not what they're talking about they're talking about embrace your animalistic nature because and this is where the argument from nature comes from and you know as a fallacy in some of this is well do what you want to do if you want to eat just eat you know and there's even kind of almost a oh i forget his name we talked about him not too long ago uh the philosopher who lived in a barrel uh, oh uh diogenes diogenes yeah diogenes was kind of you know cynicism you know and stuff like that that is is leaning more towards this stoicism stoicism that's right leans more towards that as well and that is trying to reject complexity and for the sake of simplicity well lizard brain is the most simple thing there is it only has one goal well technically a two-part goal well yeah it has it has goals and then prerequisite goals sure but only one ultimate goal and that is to reproduce before you die right (laughs) um and it doesn't need anything to do that you have you're born and will develop with everything you need to do that with exception with rare exception with rare exception but and of course you still need input but you're given all the tools you need with in in uh, within yourself you know you're given with with exceptions you know there are those who are born without the ability to walk for example that makes it a lot harder you know or who are sterile or whatever sterile right but if, if you're born and you fit the template for normal functionality then you can do it. You don't ever even need to build tools to do it. You can do everything with no tools. <laughs> you can play life on the hardest difficulty possible and do it that way. Um, and that's what they strive for. You know, I'm going to live my life as minimal as possible. I'm only going to do what I want to do with what I have on me until I die. And the goal is to live long enough to reproduce. The problem is that I feel like with increasing lifespans, I, if you go back, I feel like the problem was increasing lifespans you know it's well i did the job now what <laughs> you know and don't get me wrong you, you the part of your brain that makes sure that a baby exists from the womb to a self-sufficient age that never turns off you know we don't see our offspring raised to adulthood and go okay i now care zero about other people or now i care zero about babies and humans you, you it, it's not that simple you know well, right, right. We get well. Yeah, there's no biological reason to turn off that programming. No, and even if there was a reason, it's not that simple. <laughs> there are very few things about life that are that simple. Like creating states that need to transition in life are hard. There has to be a very good evolutionary reason for that to have occurred, and there isn't one. For turning it off really right you're not going to decrease the chances of your offspring survival or your own survival at this point by doing so really you know so back to death you know i think death is the antithesis of everything that lizard brain wants so it is we contemplate it so much because it is one of the very few specific things that lizard brain hates and tries to avoid at all costs you know and then that has a ripple effect that has great influence up the chain um but lizard brain you know like going back to the beginning doesn't understand heat death and even if it did it doesn't care because it's like well i'm gonna you know that's i can fulfill my goal before that happens you know there's no urgency um 
what do you right. th- what do you think about the five stages of grief grief yeah w- which are also used to kind of talk about how we cope with death when we are nearing that time I think the five stages of grief are uh, an interesting insight into our psychology. You know, you begin with uh, denial, which is lizard brain. <laughs> like, nope, not doing it. Death <laughs> doesn't happen. Um, then what's next? Anger? I think so. I'll pull them up real quick. Just so uh, well, I, I think I can remember them. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. I think it's depression, then bargaining, then acceptance. But... I thought the depression came after you attempted to bargain and failed because you always fail. I.E. I before E. Stages of grief. Interesting. This is already starting off differently. Show me the stages. Oh, oh God. Oh, God. It's this kind of... No, get out of here. Yeah, I hate articles that do that. Okay. Wait, seven. seven. There's seven now? All right, here you go. Here's the stages of grief. It's denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Okay. So, okay. That's that's what I thought. But apparently there's seven now. I mean, people okay. are just trying to make it more complicated. Sure. <laughs> I'm kind of curious, though. What is it? What does it think that that is? Shock and denial. Numbness. Uh, pain and guilt. These aren't just... Ugh. No. Never mind. Give me a bullet point. <laughs> All right. I'm using this image. This is a good... The seven stages are shock, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, testing, and acceptance. Which I feel like testing is just... I don't know. Seeking realistic solutions. Okay. So, like, the transition between depression and acceptance. Yeah, like, you stop feeling bad about it, and you start trying to see if you can solve the problem. Right, and how can I actually get around these feelings? Okay. Uh... Okay, and then, and then they added shock at the beginning. Yeah, which is a essentially the paralysis. Right. Is that really grief, though? I don't know. Being shocked by surprising news? I don't know. Anyway, yeah. that doesn't really matter. Um, but let's see. Uh, so, denial, anger. Hmm. Anger is like when when monkey brain begins to like contemplate the ramifications of of what's happened. Yeah, I would say that anger is monkey brain interpreting the aggression being felt by lizard brain as something it's trying to avoid, but it doesn't know how to articulate it. And so anger, I think anger is the most is the most primal of the aggression based feelings in my opinion like it for example when you hurt yourself i don't know about you but when i hurt myself like i have a uh, bench in the hallway here when i walk out of my bathroom i i just rammed my shin into it one day and i got angry be- just because <laughs> you know that yes. that's how i deal with physical pain is well, also i'm gonna get mad sure very short tangent um when i see people adults um get hurt usually by somebody else and they begin showing signs of like sadness like crying Oof. normally this is females but i don't want to generalize sure um i immediately think that they're faking it because the real 
first response to being hurt by something is anger. Yeah, because in Lizard World, when you're hurt, it's usually something else's fault. And yep. you need to, and that other thing will hurt you again unless you destroy it. Right. <laughs> or get away from it. So it's like. Right. I, this, this reminds me of a, of a funny thing that uh, a, a mutual uh, a friend of ours does. Uh, he'll run into something and immediately exclaim, have that removed immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Be gone with this thing. <laughs> yes. But in an angry tone. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, and also there are biological things built into you that when you become angry, you become numb to pain. Like yes. you, you numb that pain because you don't need to focus on that right now. You right. need to focus on the threat. How do I get rid of the threat? Yes. And yes. then once the threat has been dealt with then psychologically, it, then it hurts. Then <laughs> it hurts. You realize the pain that you're in. Yes. Then you, the pain is there to remind you that you need to deal with this. Somehow. Yes. Now, now you're injured. Fix yourself. Yeah. Right. So that, yeah, I can see anger being more of your transitionary stage between lizard and monkey brain. Like lizard brain's still pulling the strings, but monkey brain's trying to rationalize it somehow, right? And emotionally somehow, right? Emotionalize it, <laughs> and it's anger. So then you get into bargaining, which is when monkey brain really kicks in, and it's like, okay, how do I solve this problem? Here I have a problem. How do I solve the fact that my my friend is dead? Right. Or how do I? What can I do about it? I right. would say even more basic than that is. I need an action step. I need to do something. Right. Can't I do anything to fix this problem? The right. answer, of course, is no. Yes. So you get into depression. Which is another, it's just a monkey brain level of emotion. Yes. But it's also, see, depression is one of those things. It, it's in the, Depression is an emotion. But depression is a rational emotion. Like, And when I say rational, I don't mean that it's just it's rational to be depressed it's but rational to be it depressed. is a thing that happens to rational minds yes depression does not exist in lizards or in most a lot mammals, of animals yeah. are just not capable of it yeah yeah but when you do get depressed there is a reason like that's the thing is and that's why depression the illness not depression the condition like the state of being is an illness because you are ex exhibiting a condition for which there is not a reason. That's what the difference is between feeling depressed and depression, the illness, uh, is that you don't have a reason to be depressed, but you are anyway. And uh, But when you feel depressed, like if you don't suffer from depression, the mental illness, but you are in the state of being depressed, there is a reason, and you are almost always cognizantly aware of it. And, that, and your awareness of it is what is making you depressed, which is why, you know, if you look at the two ways that people have dealt with depression... There is the, well, I'm just going to ignore it. <laughs> and if I am not aware of it, then I can't be depressed. That is one way to deal with it. There's and a little bit of truth to that. There's a little bit of truth to that. And that's why you can take drugs that can make you not care about that thing and you're no longer depressed. Um, or you can move on to the next stage, which is just deal with the thing that's making you depressed and make it to where your acknowledgement of it no longer makes you feel the way you do change your perception of the thing or change the thing so that you perceive it differently. Right. Yeah. And then acceptance is a full on human thing. I think at this point, like I think acceptance, I don't know. I, I don't know that it's really a, a human thing. Cause it, like if we, like obviously if, cause if we're not, if we're not saying that depression is a human only thing, then we can't say that acceptance cause acceptance is just moving past depression. It's resolving depression whether rationally or not like when you if you are well if you are depressed about something 
and you stop being depressed about it, that's acceptance. I, I don't know. I don't necessarily think that's true. I think you can move beyond depression without accepting it, but that's going to leave you open to being depressed about that same thing again once you're reminded of it. I see. I think acceptance is that, but it's it's a finalization. Like You essentially come to a conclusion that there's nothing you can do. Like That's the difference, is that there is no way to not be depressed about this. So you stop caring about being depressed. like, And because you stop caring about being depressed, you are no longer depressed. But you essentially remove the ability to be depressed because you resign to that. And resignation is a human thing. <laughs> Giving up in that way and just admitting defeat is a human thing. And that's essentially what it is. Like, And 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 this is where we're I don't know that... See, I, I don't know. I'm still kind of hung up on, on it being a human thing. It might be like a higher order monkey thing. Like, I, I, it's it's definitely not just a mammalian thing because dogs do not do that. Right. Like, when a dog wants something, it keeps wanting it. Yeah. Forever. And it will keep trying to get the thing even if it can't. Right. Well, and I, I think what makes it, like, what might make it a little different from other apes is apes may accept that they can't get something. But that doesn't mean that they don't still want it. It's like, I still want it, but I know that I can't have it. I think the real difference is that... I see what you're saying. We okay. can truly resign ourselves to just... Like, that's the difference between saying, I'd rather not die, but it's inevitable, and saying, death is inevitable. You know, I might as well not fight it when my time comes. Like, that's different. Like, that, I think, is different. Uh, it's essentially personifying death in a way to and you are changing your perception of death a little bit and if you look at the way religions treat death it almost becomes a welcome thing (laughs) and that's your way of accepting it is saying well i now welcome it so if i want it it's fine and that is the ultimate override of lizard brain is to just finally be okay with dying even though you know spinal cord will still stop you from being like we'll try to stop an immediate threat you're not going to go through the stages again. Like, right. Yeah. You, you, I, I would be really interested to know if there's a chemical change in that, in the brain at that point, because I do feel like it is a very strong change at that place. I feel like it's probably more like a neural pathway kind of thing. Perhaps. I'm just curious. I'm not a psychiatrist or a neurologist. So no, me either. So I don't know, but it's just my guess. I, I do think, you know, and, and perhaps we're wrong. Maybe there there's an element of all of the brains in each of these, but well, that's probably what it really comes down to. Yeah, sure. But, it is just one brain, but yeah. But you know, anyway. Uh, so what did the, how did your conversation with your, you know, your your acquaintance or your uh, acquaintance is a good word. Acquaintance is a good word. Okay. How did the conversation with your acquaintance end when it came to the death conversation how did it continue yeah how did it continue um let's see I, I think after after we talked about how the heat death of the universe is not a threat worth worrying about at this time or ever uh arguably um it then turned into worrying or my acquaintance was worrying about what happens after you die. 
So that was fun. After you die. Yes. What a bargaining thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but that that I mean, that just takes the that's just a refusion of the universe can exist without me. Right. Well, and yeah, that that's sort of where it where it went from there is that you have to get over it like thing things will happen after you die, but not for you. Right. You kind of have to get over it, but you honestly don't though. I think most people don't get over it. I think because it'll never be a problem <laughs> because you can't not exist and also be aware of the universe continual existence for all intents and purposes the universe ceases to exist when you exist for you so yeah as far as you're concerned it's all over yeah yeah, the 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 fact that you're i think the whole problem comes from you trying to comprehend it without you like you can't i I, don't be wrong you can talk about it You, you can i guess you can comprehend it but i don't think you can really i don't know that we're capable of really dealing with it does that make sense yeah i mean maybe i'm wrong maybe we can comprehend it and deal with it but i don't think you can care that much about it like i don't think you're capable of caring all that much about life after you because whatever you know and i think the only way that we've even come close naturally throughout lots of human history is the concept of legacy you know like one way humans have tried to seek immortality is through a legacy or through well, offspring and, and and legacy can include offspring, you know, and you look at kings and monarchs, you know, they talk about leaving a legacy, you know, I will always be remembered as such and such person and you will take my place and the, the office of the monarch will continue on forever. And then that I'll be immortalized because I contribute to it. So we, we try to avoid death in, practical terms by meaning you know the same meaning the same part of our brain that's giving meaning to death is also trying to find out a way if you can apply meaning to afterlife in the form of a legacy or in the form of a religion you know like let's concoct an afterlife to make me okay with dying then i don't have to worry about it let's talk about afterlives for a second oh lord okay so so one of the other things that he said uh was uh this is just sort of him uh you know lamenting his human condition i guess um he said i wish there was a heaven and so then i thought about that for a moment and i said "Mm, i don't because i started thinking about it i'm like okay what what different conceptions of heaven do people have and are any of them good um so the first place i went obviously was the uh you know like abrahamic religion heaven in which a deity uh is admitting people into heaven or not so then the problem there is that, so even even if I get in, uh, depending on what the rules are, there will be people who don't. And some of those people who don't will likely be people that I care about and would like to spend my afterlife with. So then I will have to be aware that I'm not with those people. So that doesn't sound very good. Right. Then So then the, the, next, the next concept I thought of is, okay, uh, there is no gatekeeper. Everyone gets in. Okay, so now I get to spend eternity with the people that I hated the most throughout my life. You know, maybe I could segregate myself with them, but I would still know that they were, you know, living it up and having a good time despite what they did and how much I hate them. So that doesn't sound very fun. Um, 
in the the third one that I thought of was uh, was I've seen this portrayed in like TV shows before, where heaven is basically like an endless lucid dream in which you can do whatever you want and get the things that you want. But yeah. then it'd have to be, but and this, you know, maybe this wouldn't be the case for everybody, but for me, I would not be able to help but to think that okay, undoubtedly there are some people that I care about who don't include me in their lucid dream. <laughs> and that's something that you could get depressed about. Right. Well, and then there's the, for me, another one that I've contemplated before. It's similar to that, but it's, I don't know. It's kind of what the Mormons believe somewhat. Um, but you essentially become a god over your own domain mm. once you go through this life. I mean, that kind of sucks. <laughs> like, I mean... If you take Christianity's Christianity is interesting because it acknowledges a lot of its own problems, and then the way it tries to get out of them, it's very interesting. So, why did God create people? You know, at all? Christianity doesn't have a good answer for that. They have their catch-all answer, which is God do what God do. Don't question it, or you know, He can do whatever He wants, so it doesn't matter. And His reasons are beyond our understanding. Whatever. Um. But say that I became a god in my own universe. If I have my memories of my life, I know that I can make anything happen. But there's this element of being in total control that leaves you wanting. You know, if you look at, and it's so telling when you see someone like a very wealthy, powerful person throwing it away for stupid reasons. Why is why are you compelled to do that? And I think a lot of it has to come down to the fact that we are so conditioned by struggle that we cannot exist without it. Like we have to have antithesis. Like we have to have antagonists. We have to have an opposing force. There has to be a struggle because we cannot comprehend life without it. You know, and the struggle can be productive even. You know, if you look at the struggles of the scientific community to achieve things that were once thought impossible, that's still a struggle. You're still trying to find a way out of something. You know, uh, there's actually a really good Futurama episode, which I personally like that show. I think it's really well written personally, and it addresses a lot of these things in yes. a more comedic way. Yes. But there's an episode where the uh, the protagonist's uncle, who is a inventor professor you know he is a professor but he he's a scientist and he begins to lament the fact that he discovered the answer to all the questions in the universe and he begins to lament that one day with enough time we'll discover everything and we will learn everything and if that's going to happen i'll be out of a job <laughs> and my life won't have meaning anymore because I've dedicated my life to discovering new things. And at the end, he reconciles and comes to the conclusion that it's impossible to know everything. There's always one more thing to discover. There's always... It, science almost always yields more questions than answers. And so he is actually happy about the fact that it's impossible to know everything before the heat death of the universe because he will always have something to do. And that is a weird thing to think about because as much as we monkey brain struggles to get out of, you know, struggle, it still enjoys it. 
you know, it, it's it's so endemic to our being to struggle and to compete that we can't avoid it and we can't even imagine a universe or life without it. This sort of goes on, uh, sort of ties into the topic that you originally suggested for today, which is why do humans create games? Exactly. Because we like the struggle. We like to struggle. Um, not only that, I mean, I think we originally created games to simulate struggle without consequences. Right, in, in a safe way, yes. Yeah. I, like, when you look at the game of Tag, that is probably the most basic game there is. I'm going to chase you, and if I catch you, I win. And if you escape me, you win. That is basic predator-prey behavior being exhibited. Right, without... except I'm not going to follow through and kill you. Exactly. Yeah. But I'm training you to evade a predator whether you realize it or not and most people don't you know and we're working on that right now it's, it's a training exercise you just don't think about it because it's fun you know um hide and seek almost identical it's a it's, it's just i am going to try to avoid the predator so that i don't have to go into the game of tag and be chased so they start as a way for us to exercise the same skills we would use in a struggle, a real struggle, uh, but we don't have to actually, you know, deal with the consequences. But honestly, we still find the enjoyment outside of that in just competing. I can exercise, like when you look at uh, physical sports, it, it is people essentially play fighting still able to exercise that and then you look at like other types of video games it's we're training your reflexes or you're just wanting to show that you're better than someone else and that feels good because you know that if hey if that mattered i would have lived and you wouldn't have even though it doesn't you know right and so if you were the god of your own domain there, there there's something satisfying about think things that involve it doesn't necessarily have to be like a physical challenge but something that that requires skill um there, there is something there's something to be said about i'm better and i proved it like this is the, like in the same way that when something happens in the universe that doesn't that has no has no quarrel against you but will will you know bring bring harm upon you anyway in, in the same way that that is how it is well so it is that i'm better right well, it's like people like that feeling. Yeah. Well, it's like this, for the same reason there's no such thing as a game where you just press a button and you win. There right. Is, like, it's I, not a game. Yeah. I, I could invent, I could write that program in 15 minutes. I write a button on the screen and if you press that button, you get a pop-up saying, hey, you win. No one would buy that. No. No one wants that. No. It's no fun. It's not fun. Okay. But I can make it go one step further and make it a game and it has been done. You gotta press this button faster than other people. Boom! Now it's a game. Yep. Faster than it, as soon as you introduce a way to compare it to someone else, it's a game, and then the human mind just begins to spin away with ways that can be better at that. You know, but that but that core struggle. So back to my analogy: if I became a god of my own domain, wouldn't it make sense that I would create an antagonist? Wouldn't it make sense that I would want a struggle? I would limit myself to make... I would put rules in place to limit what I could do just to make it harder. You know? 
Sure, maybe. I, I mean, people do that all the time. You know, why why do the rules why do rules exist in a lot of sports? You know, they they exist so that everyone knows what's going to happen, but there are rules that intentionally limit what you can do. Well, there's even stuff like like you can take a a published game that already exists and change the rules just to make it harder. And people do that all the time too. All the time. You know, play a a video game that is normally about combat and say, okay, let's do a pacifist run. Mm-hmm. Can I beat the game without killing anything? Well, and like trading card games do it all the time as well. All right, we made this set of trading cards, and you can play the game this way. Okay. Well, it was discovered that the best way to do it was to use this set of cards. All right. How about you don't? How about we ban them and now see what you can do? And that happens all the time. We're just going to ban these cards in this format. Or we're going to restrict them. Right, you just give it a name and say we're playing, you know, constructed with no whatevers, you know. Right, or, or we're going to limited res- number of whatevers or something. Right, we're going to restrict this. Yes. And if you were actually having it, it, and that's contrary to reality. In reality, there are no rules. It doesn't matter. Like, if I am hunting a pig to eat, there are no rules <laughs> besides no. the laws of physics. I can do whatever I want to capture that. Right. I can. And you'll either get it or you won't. I can either ensnare it. I can run it down. I can hunt it. Doesn't matter. My, pick your poison. You can do whatever you want. But once you get really good at doing that thing, well, I mean, like I know a lot of hunters, actually, that they start out as young hunters and they're using a semi-automatic rifle that is using a fairly powerful cartridge. And pretty much anything that you can hit, you're going to kill it. And then they go to bow hunting. Why? Yep. The, that they're, would be so stupid if you're trying to survive. But that's the thing. They're not. They're not trying to survive. Right. It's they're a making challenge. It, yeah, they're making it harder. And to prove that they could if right. they needed to. Just like bow fishing or whatever. It's like, right. <laughs> it's just crank like, Let's up take that something that already takes skill and make it take more skill. Exactly. Or different skills anyway. Yeah. And so when it comes to if there was an afterlife or a heaven or if we lived infinitely... How long does it take before we stop dealing with real problems and just start placing arbitrary limits on ourselves to just make things hard? Oh, not very long. Not very long, you know. Um, and why not? You know, I mean, what what part of what part of our brain does that? What part of our brain like wants it to be hard? Well, the part that doesn't know how it could not be hard. You know, I feel like, you know, that's interesting. And I feel like death. The reason people end up accepting death i think a lot of the time because i mean i i think cgp gray's video where he talks about the the story the fable of the the dragon the dragon yep yeah that is so telling about what human beings do and like how we are and we just accept death in a very unhealthy way because just because death's natural like why is death special you know we, right, because it's the one thing we haven't gotten around yet, and don't and don't see an immediate way around. That's the problem, exactly. Or well, yeah, right, and then we haven't seen an immediate way around for so long that it's just a foregone conclusion, right? Well, and I mean, to kind of broaden it into a wider political context, that's kind of one of my biggest bones to pick with conservatism. You know, I I, I tend to agree with them a lot on certain things, but the one big bone I have to pick with them is they. They rely by their by definition. They rely on the fact that well things are just this way, so you need to just deal with it in a way that with 
you can't change the rules. You got to deal with it within the rules. And that's not how reality is. Right. You, we can change. We the can rules. make the rules. Yes. Yeah. We can make the rules. And now my, my problem with the other end of the spectrum is we can make up any rule we want. And it's like, well, well, no, there, well, are, there are some rules that we can't change. <laughs> there are some rules, but you know, and, and, you know, avoiding just always picking the middle ground. In this case, I really do feel like the middle ground is, is true. True. <laughs> because, yeah. Because there's no getting around it. It's like, yeah. Well, I think, yeah. The conservatives mix up the emergent rules with the base rules. Like, because this pattern has emerged from the immutable rules, therefore it, it too is an immutable rule, but that's not true. Right. And then, and then, yeah, you take the, the complete opposite, which is, because certain rules are mutable, all rules are mutable, but that's not true either. Right. We have certain immutable rules, and within those constraints, we can change all these emergent conclusions. Yeah. And I think we, as people, have just gotten way too comfortable with death being okay. I absolutely would love to find a solution to death. Yep. Even if... What's well, weird, though... Okay. we I don't know if we've talked about this on tape before and recorded it. But uh, we, we have talked a little bit about immortality. Yes. What's funny is the kind of immortality I always like talk about, like my favorite kind, is actually not the one where I can't die. <laughs> it's the right. one functional where... Mor- uh, functional immortality. Functional, yeah. yeah. I won't, if you get hit by a bus, you'll still die. You'll still die. But you won't, you won't expire because of old age. And you will always maintain a quiet right. life. We have a solution to every medical problem, right. basically, is the answer. And the way I look at it is you solve the aging problem. Because right. that's ultimately most of our issue with death is that it's inevitable down the pipe. and Right. As you get older, you become more vulnerable. And then the things that are afflicting you stack up. So much that doctors can't deal with it and you die. Right. And that's natural death. <laughs> right. That's what we call natural death. Even right. though, fun fact, nobody dies from natural causes. Right. Something kills you every time. Every time. Yeah. But, you know, even my preference to talk about functional mortality over other kinds is also pretty telling. Like, well, if you could do that, why not just make it to where you just couldn't die? Well, I think, you know. I think, well, the, the real reason for that i think at least for me i I don't want to speak for you necessarily but the reason for me that i would prefer functional immortality over actual immortality is i don't want the option removed from me to end my existence exactly it's like because you know it is it is entirely plausible if i have an infinite amount of time to live we were were talking about probabilities earlier if i have an infinite time to live um then because there is a non-zero chance, it is now guaranteed that I will get myself stuck in a hole that I can't get out of, and I'll be stuck there forever. Or at least for a very uncomfortable amount of time, and I just don't want to deal with that. <laughs> yeah. I think that that's an interesting thought experiment. I think going to that thought experiment would be a good way to talk to someone about their thoughts on death. Is say, well, you know, g- replay the scenario in which you had the the acquaintance who lamented the fact that he knows that he's going to die like well what if you couldn't what what if you were functionally immortal what would you do then would you want that or would you want never dying at all oh well actually so he he so the reason why he was lamenting the heat death of the universe initially is because he believes that we will eventually achieve functional immortality he's like but even if we do that, we still have this problem. 
Right, but ignore. But I get that. But then go down the thought experiment. Oh, of, I, I see. Of what if you could achieve permanent so, ever forever immortality? Right. Like, but would you actually want that? Yeah. Yeah, and I think most people eventually will come to the conclusion that not, I wouldn't want that either. It's like, okay, then why are you lamenting the heat death of the universe? Right. Like, oh, maybe I'm not ready yet. I'm like, okay, well, that's fine. You know. But the same reason you're not ready, you you wouldn't know. You know, I, I would argue that a couple trillion years is a long time. Right. And so... Right, right. We, we think about forever, but we're like, forever? Oh, like a million years. That's forever. It's like, it, no. no, you haven't even started on forever. No, you're not even close. Uh, both by definition. You haven't even started on the age of the universe, much less forever. Exactly. Yeah. And so... And don't get me wrong. I'm sure that if if we do discover functional mortality, there will be those who are born within the time span where they will not be content with the heat death of the universe, and that'll be an interesting period of <laughs> existence. Uh, of well, the heat death's coming, but I might want to live a few million years before that happens. <laughs> and that's just mind-boggling to even think about right now. Is oh man, I'm not going to be able to hit my millionth birthday. <laughs> <laughs> so I just had an interesting an interesting thought. Um, obviously our, our brains are limited and we experience memory loss as we age. So with functional immortality, we remove the issue of aging, but obviously there eventually will have to be memory loss because you just run out of the number of combinations you can have for neural pathways. Sure. How would people begin to cope with losing their memories? I actually think that we would cope very similarly to the way we do now. I think which is yeah you don't remember it so you don't care. Well, there's that and there's also okay, those who have a little more forethought they would keep records. journals, keep yeah. records. Yeah. They would have their own personal repository of their memories just and and if we had the technology, we could actually save them in a way that we can recall them. Because the the issue right That's now That's true. If we have that much time, we might figure out a way to just increase the number of combinations. Well, either that or say I can just load any combination I want. Like like right now we have the technology to insert a memory into someone's head. But it can only be your memory. We can't take my memory and put it in your head because right. it doesn't translate. But I can look at a picture of a red cube. And they can scan my brain, and then they can induce that same signal and make me remember a red cube. What I could eventually do, which you could eventually do without much difficulty, is just have a brain bank where every day or every week, instead of sitting down and penning into a journal, you would sit down, hook up to a machine, and you would rethink your day. And you would store those memories in that machine. And so while your actual brain... Then the only memory you need to keep in your brain is the one that, oh, I have an off-stored memory. I can go get those memories back. And so, hmm, I wonder if I've ever experienced that before. You can check the registry to see if you can recall, like, hmm, did I already experience this? Enter. There's a couple of memories that might be it. Plug me up. Let's see if I experienced this before. Right. And you relive those memories so you... Your brain becomes RAM <laughs> instead of ROM in that case, which would be really interesting. But I think that we could adapt to that system and it'd be very useful for getting around that problem. Um, it does introduce some weird possible crises. Like, oh, no, I lost all my memories. <laughs> oh, oh, man. No. Yes, imagine 
your hard drive dying, except that it's all kinds of important things that you wanted to remember, and there really isn't a way to get back. Yeah, it's the same feeling people get right now when the husband accidentally tapes over their wedding tapes with a football game. Yes. <laughs> it's very similar to that, except it, it's... Joe, you're showing your age, by the way. No one tapes anymore. I, I know that, but <laughs> it's still a phenomenon that I'm familiar with. But back when people had finite tape storage, you know, people would take a video VHS tape of your wedding, and in a lot of shows when I was growing up, it was that, you know, that was the conundrum is, ah, he taped over it with a football game. Are you serious? And imagine that scenario, but oh man, I taped over my memory of our wedding with a memory of me going putt butt golf one time. <laughs> <laughs> but the same resolution to that is both is that you kind of get past and except in the, uh, in the TV example, it's, Oh, well, at least I remember the day it happened. That's what's important. <laughs> but imagine saying it happened. I don't remember it, but I know that it happened because someone just reminded me that it happened. Yep. Yeah. Well, anyway, there's a there's a good sci-fi novel, I think, there. <laughs> I imagine that as a writing prompt. A man alone at the end of the universe who is can't remember everything, so he has to confer with his computer to remember things. And you could write a whole series about someone reliving their memories through the machine that'd be a really interesting premise i'd write up I'd, I'd write to follow that up well time to get started yeah book book pending uh <laughs> just um coming soon in the next millennium maybe we'll see we need functional immortality first yeah i'll, I'll write that book if i get functional it'll immortality. be an autobiography <laughs> yeah, that's another thing writing a book about your life for the end of the universe that no one will ever read but you're doing it anyway because that's all you have left. that's to a do. very human thing to do that's a very human thing to do well, I'm about to expire, and no one will ever read it, but I have literally nothing else to do, but I've experienced everything, so what am I going to do? I now have all this time spent to spend on reviewing what I've already done. Now, that is an interesting afterlife, where all you do is you spend infinite amount of time pouring over a finite period of your life. Oh, wait. It's called purgatory. <laughs> but anyway... I don't know. It's an interesting discussion. I feel like death will come up again when I write my book. But uh, you know, don't steal it. <laughs> yeah, no, no steelsies. No steelsies. That's copyrighted. <laughs> oh, philosophers. Philosophers.